0: Good morning. morning. Come on, church. I said good morning. Good morning. morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. This morning, we are still in a series, The Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, a book that we've been reading. And today, I've been tasked with talking about the topic of grief and loss. And let me just begin by saying I am zero expert in the topic of grief or loss. I don't know that anybody really is. So we're going to try to tackle this topic um, and I'm, my hope and my prayer is that there would be a la- lens change in our lives, that we would have a lens shift in the way that we view grief and loss, that we would no longer see it as something that please don't happen. Not, not, I'm not saying we should ask for it, but that we would have a lens shift, that we would maybe embrace it, all right? I'm going to read a story that I can't think of a better story in Scripture to walk through than John 11, the story of Lazarus, be- Lazarus being raised from the dead. And as we read this story, I just want to take a moment for you guys. It's a 44-verse story, so it's kind of a long story, but I'd like to take a moment, if you guys would, and just close your eyes and let yourself sit in the story, sit in the moment. Take yourself back 2,000 years ago and let yourself feel it, see it, breathe it, smell it, and just be a part of what was happening in that moment 2,000 years ago. And let the Lord just wash over you and speak to you something new and fresh, as you've probably heard this story or read this story a lot. And let something fresh just kind of wash over you, all right? So before I read the story, just lay your hands on someone next to you. Grab hands, however you want to do that. Let's just pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We want to see this story with fresh eyes. We want to hear this narrative with fresh ears. We're asking you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to us and in us and through us. We give you access, Holy Spirit, to come fall and reign and rule in this room. And all God's people said, amen. All right, if you'll just close your eyes. You don't have to. I'm not going to make anyone not checking. Just close your eyes and we're going to read the story. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, will he recover? Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, "Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the God, the Son of God who is coming into the world." When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, "The teacher is here and is calling for you." Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. For I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What a story. What a story. Grief and loss. I think with grief and loss, we often don't have a theology for it. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to handle it. We don't know what to say to people when they're going through it. We don't know whether to empathize or sympathize. We don't know whether to be silent or to speak. We don't know whether to tell people what we're really going through or what's really going on in our head. We, we often wrestle with belief systems of, of, is God teaching me something? Is he punishing me? Did I not have enough belief? Why didn't he rescue? Why didn't he step in? Why didn't he deliver? We vacillate from being victims to acting unfazed, wearing everything outside on our sleeves and letting everyone see it to, I'm good, I'm fine. As believers, it often leads to confusion or a numbing or a wondering the why of it all, what was God up to? But what if we change our lens about grief and loss? What if we shift our lens to what grief and loss really is in this time between the times that we're living in, from the initiated but not yet, from the consummated, from the initiated but not fully consummated when Christ will return? What if we change our lens? The author in this book, Peter Schizero, writes that there are three phases of grief. It's a lens change. He says, number one, pay attention to the pain. Number two, wait in the confusing, in between. And three, allow the old to birth the new. If we have a lens shift, then we might just start to understand that in all of it, God is good, that he has a different economy than we do. He has a different definition of success and loss than we do. You see, if we're honest, we're really honest, we want the success of being believers but we don't want the loss or the grief. We want the success that comes with following Jesus. We want the prosperity and we want all the stuff that we say comes with following Jesus, but we don't really want often the grief and the loss. Let's be honest, who doesn't want success? I do. Please hear me. I'm not saying success is bad, but all of us love the success and the spotlight. We, we, success is good, But success and spotlight is crippling if it becomes our motivation. Our success is not what defines us. And our moments of success are not really often the times that transform us. I want to tell you a story. On March thirteenth, two 2015, I sat on a plane in Atlanta flying back to Roanoke. I sat with my Bible in my lap open to John chapter 11 and this story about Lazarus. The reason I had my Bible opened to Lazarus and the story in John chapter 11 was because I had read and reread that story every day, sometimes twice a day, since January 1st of of that year. You see, on January 1st, my oldest brother, Trey, went into an induced coma from a routine back surgery. Just one month prior, not even on December 6th, this is my brother Trey, just one month prior on December 6th, he married off his oldest daughter. Three days later, he went in for a routine back surgery. It was supposed to be in and out. He was supposed to just uh, be an outpatient kind of thing, but they ended up keeping him all the way through until about December 27th. You can take that picture down. And from December 6th until December 27th, he just got worse and worse. They sent him home with a wall of oxygen tanks. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. They couldn't figure out why he wasn't recovering. He required that they let him go. And against the doctor's judgment, and my brother was a stubborn, big old mule, six foot five, wasn't gonna take no for an answer, he went home. And on the evening of New Year's Eve and into January 1st, he went into a coma. And for 71 days, he fought for his life. He was on a trach. He could mouth words. He was fully alive and fully active, but he had, his lungs were full like cement bags. I can't remember the name of what his disease was, pulmonary fibrosis. And he never recovered. And on March 12th, 2015, I stood around his bed with his wife and my twin brother, and he looked at us and he said, you've got to tell her to let me go. It's time to go be with Jesus. And after much suffering and tears, I had the privilege to stand around his bed with his wife and his three daughters, my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, friends, and we got to usher him into heaven. It was beautiful. You could feel the presence of Jesus in that room as we sang It Is Well with my soul. I got to witness my mother kiss her baby boy for the last time. I got to witness my dad who had been shaving him and cleaning his nose out and his ear hairs and all the things for 71 days. I got to witness my dad love his son into heaven. I got to witness my Sister-in-law, as my brother looked at her and says, I love you, baby. You're the love of my life. It was beautiful. But there I sat on a plane the next day, emotionally and physically drained, feeling like a limb was gone. I had never known the world without my oldest brother. I was numb. I wasn't angry. No doubt. I wasn't demanding answers. No requirements. But God, why didn't you heal my brother? You had told me, Lord, to begin to read John 11 every day. I was obedient to read. You had words spoken over us. There was words spoken about resurrection power, God. So I sat simply on the plane saying, okay, Jesus, you have my full attention. What do you want me to see here? What are you up to? And you know what is so beautiful about God? The God that we serve, it's that it's seemingly in the darkest moments, in our moments of grief and loss, that's when he marks us. You see, we're always his. We've always been marked by him if we're in Christ. But it's in the bleakest moments that he becomes ours. He says, I've chosen you, I've marked you, I've made you mine, but these are the moments where we grab back and we say, I'm making you mine as well. It's in these moments where we have a choice to come fully awake or maybe remain in a fog. So I sat there attentively and I said, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? What are you up to? And on that plane, a very clear thought came to my mind. Mike, you need to wake up to the reality that as a follower of Jesus, your life is not your own. As a follower of Jesus, our lives are His. My sole purpose in life is to be used up, poured out, wasted, and expended for the gospel of Jesus Christ so that Jesus, not me, gets all the glory and others would believe that He is Lord. You see, God is not concerned with our worldly success, He wants our obedience. Our total unyielding obedience equates to success in God's economy. Our obedience is more important than success. And as followers, we are called to obedience, not success. And I'm not talking about obedience that follows a list of rules or obligations or do's and don'ts. I'm talking about an obedience that says my life is not my own. My life is yours. My stuff is yours. My my freedom is yours. My resources are yours. My time is yours. My future is yours. Everything I have and everything that I am is yours, and it's all to be used up, poured out, wasted, expended, so that you alone, Jesus, get the spotlight and get glorified, and others will believe. So I sat on the plane. Okay, Lord, but why Lazarus? You raised him from the dead. You, you raised him from the dead, and you didn't raise my brother from the dead. So why the story of Lazarus? And it was this if he whispered, Lazarus is an example of a life that was used up and wasted for my glory so that others would believe. And your brother Trey was the same. I thought, okay, how so, Lord? You raised him from the dead. You gave him back to his sisters. You healed him It was as if he whispered, that is true, but at what cost to Lazarus? What was the cost to Lazarus that he was raised from the grave on that day? And I don't know for sure, but what if Lazarus was in a place of no more pain, no more suffering, No more disease. What if he was fully alive and awake in paradise? I don't know the process of the afterlife. I know that one day when Jesus raises from the grave or comes back, excuse me, that one day we will all be with him in heaven. I don't know right now, theologically, if there's a time where people are waiting. I don't know if it's in a blink of an eye. I don't know the theology of that. But what if Lazarus was in this place of paradise with God? I don't know the answer, but regardless, here is what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that after Lazarus was raised from the grave, that Lazarus was going to have to die again. What Jesus knew is that Lazarus was going to have to go through loss and suffering and grief and persecution all over again. Jesus knew that it would have to happen so that he would be glorified and people would know that Jesus was Lord. How do we know that? Chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, right after Lazarus was raised from the grave, it says this, the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Tradition and scholars believe that Lazarus died again a second time. He didn't go on and just evaporate into heaven or get raised in, to, to heaven like Jesus. He didn't, he didn't ascend. He faced another death. Some say that he escaped to Kittien with his sisters due to threats and that he was brutally murdered there. Some say that that he and his sisters fled and were captured by Jews in a rage who put them out to sea without oars, rudders, or sails and that they died at sea under a scorching sun. Others say he fled to Gaul, France and was beheaded and martyred for his faith. All believe and agree that Lazarus died again, that he suffered, and he was persecuted again and again. The moment from that Jesus raised him from the dead, Lazarus' life was not his own. And it struck me. It struck me in that moment. Did Jesus weep? The smallest smallest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And scholars have talked about, people have taught on why did Jesus weep? Was he weeping because the sisters were sad? Was he weeping that the crowd was sad? Was he, I, I don't know why Jesus wept. But think about if you knew that just through that door was a raised to life loved one. I, I don't know. Would you cry? Or would you be so pent up with excitement like, it's about to happen. You're going to see it. Lazarus is coming out in a couple minutes. Just, oh, okay. What if? I'm just asking a what if. I don't know the answer. Be clear. What if Jesus knew what Lazarus had to walk through? Lazarus was no stranger to Jesus. Jesus loved and knew Lazarus. Lazarus was dear to him. I wonder if Jesus stood there weeping because he knew that Lazarus, the one that he loved, would have to be used up, poured out, expended and wasted so that Jesus alone would get all the glory and others would believe. I wonder. I don't know the answer. I'm just conjecturing here. I wonder if Jesus had to have a conversation with Lazarus as he sat in paradise with God. And I wonder if that conversation went something like this. Hey, Lazarus, you're going to have to do something really hard. You're going to come back. You're going to have to leave your comfort. You're going to have to leave paradise, leave safety, leave security. You're going to have to leave a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more persecution, no more disease, and you need to come back so that I will get glory, glorified and others will believe. And it breaks my heart, Lazarus, because it's going to be hard. I'm asking everything of you You're going to be hunted down. You will suffer. You will die again. You will not get the spotlight. I will. You will not get the applause of the world. You will not live out a life of ease and safety. I'm not asking of you anything I'm not going to do myself because I'm going to go to a cross and be sacrificed, used up, wasted, and poured out to so that God in heaven, my Father, will be glorified and others will believe and know that I am the son of God, and he sits on his throne. So Lazarus, will you trust me? Will you wake up to the reality that your life is not your own? You see, that's the question of us today as believers. As we face grief, loss, as we walk through this earth, today, the Father is saying, will you trust me? Will you wake up to the reality that your life is not your own, that your stuff is not your own, that your resources are not yours. Will you be used up, poured out, and wasted, expended for the kingdom so that Jesus gets glorified and others believe? Will you lay down your desire for success and give me your obedience? It suddenly struck me as I was on that plane Why God had me read John 11 every day from January 1st until March 12th. You see, Trey was raised from the grave and the dead in 2010, five years before. You see, five years before, Trey went in for another routine back surgery. It was supposed to be a lower lumbar thing and he developed a staph infection and for six months he remained in the hospital on the verge of death. We were called about three different times. The time is now. He's going to die. There was round-the-clock prayer services, round-the-clock praying, round-the-clock, and he sat in that hospital room for six months, and overnight one night, overnight, he was completely and totally healed. He went home the next day. The doctors were shocked. Everybody was floored. Miracle. And Trey was never the same after that moment. His wife, Kelly, was a flight attendant for Delta. And so Trey could fly wherever he wanted for free. And so once a week, we'd usually get on the phone and have a conversation. I would say, hey, Trey, where are you? Oh, I'm in Texas. What are you in Texas for? Well, I've been trolling the hospital in Atlanta, and I just go sit with people who are shut-ins like I was for six months. And I met this guy, and his niece is having a wedding here in, in, uh, in Houston. And so I just showed up to bless her and be here for the relative. Oh, wow. Okay. The next week, Trey, where are you? I'm in Chicago. What are you doing in Chicago? I sat in the hospital with this woman and her nephew is getting married or whatever, whatever, like over and over again. His life, he started meeting with guys on a regular basis. And at the funeral on the day that we had the beautiful funeral. We had a line of guys that showed up to Matt and I. Like, they walked as if we were the, the receiving line and, and they would each walk in and lean in and, and whisper and go, Trey was my best friend. As we looked at 40 guys lined up to talk to us, Trey Massey was my best friend. We were like, you can't all be his best friend. I was his best friend. Like life after life that stepped in. He didn't have a huge ministry. He just loved people. A life that was used up, poured out, and wasted so that others would believe. And the result was, on his day of the funeral, there were like 1,500 people there packing that service. of person after person talking about the, the Trey Massey that was a life lived for Jesus. Giving his life away. Like, What if today is our resurrection day? What if today is for each one of us our day of being raised from the dead? That we place a marker in the ground that our lives are not our own, that our stuff is not our own, that we're to be poured out, used up, and wasted, that we will see grief and loss with a lens that says, Lord, bring it. I'm ready for it. I want it because I want you to be glorified, and I want others believe as Cole comes and sings and leads us in honor of Trey we're going to sing it as well that song we sang around his deathbed that day as we ushered heaven into that room and today will you just join me I don't know if you're walking through grief or loss I don't know what you're going through I don't know what is happening in your life but if you can just shift your lens to say, it is well with my soul because you sit on the throne and I am yours. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're not asking us to do anything that you haven't done. You're not asking us to go anywhere that you haven't gone. You've suffered so much more than we could possibly think or imagine. You faced grief way beyond what we could even understand. You took the entire, the entirety of the sin of the world on your shoulders and you were immersed in it. You understand. You lean in and you understand whatever thing that we might go, be going through. And you say, I get it. If we could just change our lens today, Lord, Spread out our arms, lift up our eyes, and embrace what you have us walking through because we are to be used up, poured out, and wasted so that you and you alone get all the glory and others believe.